Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hello, I'm Nigel Lithgow, and I was the executive producer of Pop Stars, My Idol, Pop Idol, and American Idol. And these are my idol memories. Welcome to my podcast, and thank you so much for listening and telling your friends about it. What? You haven't told your friends? Well, please, feel free to do so. I'd hate to think they were missing out. Now, today I'll be talking about the Top 5 show and the Top 4 show. I'll also be talking to Charles Boyd, or Charlie as we know him. Ken and I brought him from the UK. He'd written the British show, Pop Idol, and we needed someone to bring a little more magic to the chemistry of Ryan and Brian. But that's a little bit later. Right now, let's start with the Top 5 show. It opened with Christina Christian in the audience. She'd been rushed to hospital after passing out in the studio the week before. Unfortunately, she was then voted off the show whilst lying in bed in Cedars-Sinai Hospital. It was now great to see her looking so good. Ryan asked how she was feeling. How are you feeling? A lot better and very happy to be here. I definitely want to thank everybody for everything. Um, all the support that you gave me for being here and just, I mean, it's just amazing. I'm so happy that I had the chance to do this. And we were just happy that Christina came on the show in the first place. Now, the theme for the top five show was going to be love songs. And to help our contestants this week, we introduced them to one of the greatest pop songwriters in the world, Bert Bacharach. Kelly Clarkson was extremely impressed. He's a genius. All his songs, everybody knows them. They're masterpieces. Justin, too, was full of praise. It was so cool. He's like the hippest senior citizen alive. I love it. Really? A hip senior citizen? Well, that gives us all hope. The top five, Kelly, Tamira, Nikki, Ajay, and Justin, started the evening sitting on stools, singing a beautiful version of Bacharach's That's What Friends Are For. On the key change, as the music swelled, they all stood and got off their stools. It was so exhilarating, the entire audience rose to its feet. Even the three judges held hands and swayed to the music. It was really quite an emotional moment for the entire studio. And then Dunkelman brought us all down to earth with his next statement. Now what we're going to do is pit them against one another. Ouch, yes. Well, that is what the show is all about. Keeping the best and losing the rest. But who would we be losing tonight? Only time, five love songs, and America's vote would tell us. Kelly Clarkson started the show. She had originally chosen anyone who had a heart, but then changed her mind. Because song selection is so key, so important, and I feel maybe I could do a little better. Kelly now chose Walk On By, but Bert Backrack was happy with whatever Kelly chose. She's got the power and she can sing softly too. I think she's got a great shot, great chance. So hopefully Kelly will stop the show. Well, I have to say, Kelly did stop the show as the audience rose to its feet again to applaud an awesome performance. Great attitude mixed with outstanding vocal ability without copying or imitating anybody else's rendition of this song led to some very interesting critiques. Randy was first. This wasn't your greatest performance for me, but you definitely tried to make the song your own. Paula thought Kelly's original choice may have even been better. It was interesting to me because I thought anyone who had a heart would have been better, but I really think that you really made Walk On By Your Own. But I have to say, Simon nailed it for me. We didn't pick up when you were on in this, in this competition. I mean, as I say, I'm so pleased that you've entered this, this show and you're going to do so well because I truly, truly believe you are going to become a huge star at the end of this Absolutely. show. Absolutely. Truly. Boy, did Simon get it right there. She really did become a huge star. Bless her. R.J. Hilton was the next to sing. He'd chosen the Bacharach song that had been written along with Peter Allen, Carol Bayer-Sager and Christopher Cross. 
If You Get Caught Between the Moon and New York City, otherwise known as Arthur's Theme. It won an Oscar in 1981 as the best original song in a movie. Having worked with RJ, Bert had this to say. He's very good. I think he'll do very well. RJ attempted to make the song his own by adding a lot of runs. When you get caught between the moon and New York City Oh yeah, I know it's crazy And he definitely had a sweet quality to his voice, but the judges were split. Randy felt it was a little boring to start with, but picked up later, and Paula enjoyed it. I think Bert was right. I think this song really fits your register really well. Simon, on the other hand, didn't hold back his feelings in the slightest. You're out of your depth. I do not believe you can compete with three of the singers in this competition. It was, it was okay. It was all right. No, it was okay. At this point, RJ brushed Simon aside, turned his back, and walked upstage to Ryan and Brian. Paula noticed. When Simon was talking, RJ gave yeah. the best response. Yeah. You shooed him away. Simon's used to that from women, though, normally. <laughs> so now... I don't actually believe that statement to be true. I can certainly attest to a lot of beautiful women around Simon before he met his lovely partner, Lauren Silverman. Another beautiful woman was about to sing, and that was Tamira Gray. She'd chosen Bert's A House Is Not A Home. And this is one of my favourite songs of all time. I think Hal David's lyrics are just sensational. Tamira didn't know the original Dionne Warwick version of the song, just the somewhat slower version by Luther Vandross. However, Bert was exceptionally happy with how Tamira sang. She's got something very special. She works on this, gets more comfortable with the song. It'll be a real tour de force performance. So Bert was predicting a tour de force performance. And a tour de force performance is what we got. It was chilling in the studio with the hair standing up on the back of your neck. And even today, just watching the video back, I get that same shiver. Randy explained... That's what it's about right now. It's about doing your thing every night consistently. Proud of you. Paula was in tears and used a sports analogy. You're like Barry Bonds. You're Barry Bonds who hit it out of the ballpark tonight. Simon gave the biggest compliment I have ever heard him give anybody. That performance was on a par with Whitney Houston, Celine Dion. Seriously. Honestly, tomorrow, it, it was one of the best performances on TV I've ever, ever seen in Amen. my life. Last week, Simon had said that he didn't know how Tamira had not been discovered before now. Well, she was certainly making the most of her time on American Idol to show the world what an incredible talent she was. Justin Guarini had the unenviable task of following Tamira. Rumours had it that Justin and Tamira were seeing each other in their spare moments. But rumours also had it that Justin was seeing Kelly. So who knows? Maybe I should ask Nikki McKibben when I speak to her on a future podcast. We'll ask her anyway, see if we get a reply. Justin had chosen The Look of Love, originally sung by Dusty Springfield for the 1967 James Bond spoof, Casino Royale. Having worked with him on the song, Bert had some good things to say about Justin. He's got a big potential. In a white collarless shirt and brown leather pants, he reached out to all of his young fans in the audience who screamed the studio down. This just the start of so many nights like this. Randy just thought the song was nice. Nice song, nice song. It didn't really stretch you vocally. I think I'd love to hear something where you really have to stretch vocally because I think... Vocally, this competition is getting very tough, but it's a nice song. I felt your vocals sat really perfectly in the song. I felt that you felt at ease. You felt really, really confident. You sounded great tonight. I really, really think you did a great job tonight. Simon couldn't stop comparing Justin's performance with Tamira's. After what we saw before you, I mean, it's, it's so difficult for you because, you know, come on, you've got to admit, that was in a different league. Well, and that amazing. was all right. She was absolutely amazing. Yeah, it was yeah. okay. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thank you. Well, I'll I take say. that. It's better than bad. Okay. I'll take that. So Justin was happy to get away with that was okay, as he said it was better than Simon saying it was bad. 
Someone who was accustomed to getting bad comments from Simon was the last to go this evening, Nikki McKibben. Nikki, as you know, had a rock edge to her voice, and Backrack and David didn't write too many, if any, rock songs. So she was a challenge for Bert. She's got a, a bite, she's got an edge to her voice. They finally settled on Always Something There to Remind Me. It's the right choice that you made with Always Something There to Remind Me. I think she'll do absolutely fine with it. Nikki sang the song somewhat apologetically for me. Oh, how can I forget you, boy, when there is always something there to remind me? At the end of the number, a four-year-old Tristan ran up on the stage to present her with a rose. There was a huge, oh, from the audience. That love wasn't forthcoming from the judges. I think Randy Jackson had been taking a leaf out of Simon Cowell's book on tough critiques. Love your outfit, did not love the song, did not love the singing. I think there's a lot of better people in this competition. I think you're kind of out of your league at this point. Paula, rather shockingly, was tough too. I'm going to have to agree with Randy. I just think it wasn't the best song for you to choose, and, and it was a good performance, but there have been better this evening. Not forgetting that Simon wrote the book on tough critiques, and he found another one. Have you ever seen a film called The Wedding Singer? It was a guy who performs at weddings. We love you, Nicky. That's what he looked like. I personally wish Nicky had sung I'll Never Fall in Love Again. It had a little more character in it for Nicky to play with. But in truth, Backrack and David love songs were never going to be easy for her to sing. Without doubt, Kelly and Tamira gave outstanding performances on the night and looked favourite to be continuing in the competition. But who would be going home? the following night would tell us. The show opened with a backrack medley of songs. Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head, Anyone Who Had a Heart, which incidentally sounded magnificent with Kelly taking the lead. Maybe Paula was right. She should have sung that song. The medley finished with What the World Needs Now Is Love Sweet Love. The whole studio swayed in time, and even the three judges held hands and swayed together. It was a beautiful sight, even if Simon was swaying in the opposite direction to everyone else. No guesses as to who one of the contestants was going to be in the bottom two. Yep, Nicky McKibben. In truth, it takes about four seconds to say, whoever, you're going home. But we had 24 minutes to do it in. We had to find things to pad out the show, and you can imagine how tough that was going to be in season two, when they gave us an hour to say who was going home. The top six, which consisted of Christina Christian, got to go to the Teen Choice Awards the week before, so we played a video about that event. This was then followed by Justin being told he was safe, and RJ joined Nikki in the McKibben zone. So there we were, RJ and Nikki in the bottom two, time for another break. After the break, Ryan broke the news. RJ, you have been eliminated tonight. RJ wanted to thank his fans and the judges, but in the end, ignored one of the judges. I want to thank all of you who have voted for me and supported me and prayed for me at home. And happy birthday, Corinne and Avery and Paul and Randy. I really do appreciate your, your, um, your help. <laughs> You've You've encouraged me and you've stood my beat through the, the whole thing and I really do appreciate that. Thank you. Well, it was pretty obvious that he'd ignored Simon, but Randy gave him some words of confidence. RJ, man, you made it this far. Continue to dream, man. You know you got it going on. You made it this far, which has been very hard to do. Keep running, dude. Paula supported him too. I want you to know, RJ, I love you more than your initials and in this business where most people fly coach, you fly first class. Not sure RJ wanted to fly anywhere. But Simon had some words of advice. What all I can say, RJ, is you took your criticism like a man, and I commend you for that. Um, I never said it was going to be easy, this competition. You did well to get this far. To everyone else, I would say the advice is you have to now believe you can win this competition. You have to believe every performance. But congratulations for getting this far. Not only did they have to believe they could win, they had a lot of work to do for the next show. The Top 4 show introduced an extremely excited Ryan Seacrest. As the show opened, 
Ryan and Brian were walking down to their positions when Ryan suddenly broke into a run and leapt off the stage into the audience, leaving Brian on stage somewhat bemused. Not lost for words, though, Brian suggested Seacrest was off his meds. And it certainly looked that way. Either that, or he'd found some new meds. Seacrest rejoined Dunkelman on stage, and the couple explained that our final four, Kelly, Justin, Nicky and Tamira, would be singing two songs each tonight, chosen from the 80s and 90s. During the introductions, Brian introduced Randy as our very own crop circle. Seacrest introduced Paula and then added... And by the way, we do have the president of the Simon Cowell fan club with us tonight. Simon Cowell! (laughs) Our new writer, Charles Boyd, was working well, bless him. Tamira opened the show with Patti LaBelle's 1984 dance rock tune, New Attitude. I felt all week that it was a poor choice for her voice, but all Ken and I could do along with vocal coach Bird was make suggestions of other songs and not actually comment on the contestants' actual choice. It was a week where both Tamira and Kelly were suffering badly with sore throats. Now, that didn't help Tamira's performance for a start. The fact that this was a synthesizer pop song, the backing track was extremely sparse and the voice was too exposed. But Tamira did what she could against all of these challenges. Somehow the wires uncrossed, the tables were turned. Never knew I had such a lesson to learn. I'm feeling good from my head to First to critique was Randy. Wow, you picked a very, very ambitious song, man. The great Miss Patti LaBelle. I've had the pleasure of working with her. Pick up that name you dropped. Uh, hey, hey, very good. But listen, uh, I thought it was good. I didn't think it was your best, man. It was. This was a tough one. Next to go was Paula. I'm gonna have to agree with Randy. It's it's amazing because you have outdone yourself week after week. I think you did a great job, but it wasn't my favorite performance. Amazingly, Simon didn't want to pass an opinion on this song. Okay, prove it to me second time round tomorrow. It was okay. Let's yeah. see what you do second time round. So Simon was waiting for Tamira's second song. Nikki McKibben, for her first song, had chosen Mary Jane, the Alanis Morissette track off the Jagged Little Pill album, and it suited Nikki's voice perfectly. Randy started the critiques and wasn't overthrilled. It still just wasn't unbelievable for me, but I liked it. It was all right. Paula noted how Nikki had been doing across the weeks. This has been an interesting journey for you. You've been, you've been having to rise above the adversity, being in the bottom three least voted, and I think you really found your comfort zone tonight. Simon had nothing but compliments. That was a fantastic performance. Yeah. Having said that, he then baited Randy. And for Randy to say that that was okay, Randy, wash your ears. Oh, out. Simon, come on. Come on, baby, come on now, listen. Come on, come on. I thought we were going to have another Jackson versus Cal bust-up. Unfortunately, Ryan and Brian broke it up and moved the show along. I'll bet both the audience and myself were bitterly disappointed at that. But we weren't disappointed to see Kelly Clarkson. She'd chosen the Weather Girls recording of It's Raining Men. Ryan Seacrest once informed us during one of the FOMO-sexual banters with Simon that It's Raining Men was Simon's favourite song. Who knew? Written by Paul Jabara, it was the number one dance hit in 1982. Kelly sang it with great gusto, but there was a slight edginess to her voice because of that sore throat. That didn't stop Randy praising her. That was amazing, man. I think you could sing anything and make it sound good. Amazing. Paula, too, had compliments. Your voice is bigger than two weather girls put together. (laughs) Great job. Simon was looking to the future. I'm looking forward to round two because I know what you've got in store. I know what some of the others got in store. It's kind of going to be Battle of the Voices, second part. This is just the warm-up. Good, but I think there's better to come. I was shocked that not one of them mentioned the fact that Kelly had sung the wrong lyrics at one point, and also that she started to sing the chorus when she should have been singing the middle eight. Instead of singing, God bless Mother Nature, she sang, 
It's reigning nature and cleverly continued the middle eight. The fact that the judges hadn't noticed said a lot about her performance. She just kept going without giving any indication that she had screwed up. And that was the sign of being a true professional, even at this early stage in her career. Justin Guarini was the fourth person to take the stage. He'd chosen the 1990 song Get Here by Alita Adams for his first performance. His vocal control was amazing, and he had a really good quality to his controlled falsetto. Randy was full of praise. I think that's your best performance in this whole competition. Paula had her own compliments to offer. You did a really wonderful job. Keep that sincerity going. And Simon was in full agreement. Fabulous. I mean, that's why we, we put you in the, in, in the top 30. I mean, that was a great performance. It's what you're all about. Great song. Fantastically delivered. Thank you. Great. Well done. Tamira Gray returned for her second song, Feel the Fire. Originally sung and written by Peebo Bryson in 1978, and then by Stephanie Mills and Teddy Pendergrass in 1980. She gave this everything her voice would allow, and then sung. This soulful rendition of a song that wasn't that well known certainly made up for anything that may have been lacking in her first performance. Randy was happy. Now that's the Tamara that I've grown to love right there. That's the one that I've grown to love right there. Paula gave a warning. Whitney Houston, Celine Dion, Mariah Carey, move on over. Here comes Tamara. And then Simon conjured up another incredible critique. America should be very proud of you because you are world class. Absolutely superb. Nikki would have to follow that incredible performance by Tamara but she'd come well-equipped with her own performance of Melissa Etheridge's 1993 rock ballad, I'm the Only One. Randy had to finally admit something. Finally, in my estimation, that was the perfect song for you. Finally, finally, yeah! Paula explained what happens when Nikki picks the right song to sing. When you do pick the right song, we've been saying this week after week, you have your, your magic moment. Tonight is yours. And then Simon's comment must have made Nikki feel great. After the nightmare of last week, you've absolutely proved to yourself and to the audience that you deserve to be in this competition. And congratulations. For her second song, Kelly Clarkson chose the powerhouse ballad, I Surrender, originally sung by Celine Dion. There is no question a normal concert tour would have been cancelled with the state of Kelly and Tamira's voices this week. But this was American Idol. And at this stage of the competition, no one wanted to drop out. This was one of the toughest songs to sing that Kelly had chosen. The notes were high, the notes were low. cracked in a number of places, but overall, it was a magnificent performance. Randy was extremely generous. I often say that it's really hard to sing Mariah, Whitney, Celine, because those are the big three females. You just sang that Celine song and you just sang the hell out of it. Brilliant. Paula only had one word. Simon informed the audience what had been going on this week. I know, and no one realizes, how stressed all of your vocals are this week. The fact that you can even talk is a miracle. Singing like that is amazing. And I think you've just put yourself up in the same league as Celine and Mariah Carey. Congratulations. So incredible critiques from Simon this week for both Tamira and Kelly Clarkson. Ryan had to ask Kelly about it. Before the show, you weren't speaking. Oh man, it's not just for me, for Tamara, especially me and her just had a hard time this week. Nikki's, I guess, just, just is good, because she always is just on, but I'm just tired, I'm exhausted. Unfortunately, added pressure was put on the four singers this week. As well as them rehearsing their two songs, 
further strain was put on their vocal cords due to the fact that the winner of American Idol would be releasing a double A-side of A Moment Like This, chosen by Simon Cowell, and Before Your Love, picked by the creator of Idol, Simon Fuller, a recording session had been put in place to record all four remaining idols singing the two new songs. Obviously, we didn't know who the eventual winner would be, which is why all four had to record their versions. Picking up on Kelly's mistake on God Bless Mother Nature, I would have to say God Bless Dr. Nasseri. He got them all through well enough to perform on the show this week. All kudos to him. Justin Guarini was back to sing his second song, Michael Jackson's PYT, Pretty Young Thing, from the 1982 Thriller album. Take it back, take it back, I want to love you. Pretty young thing, you need some love, love Justin's voice was pretty much shot too. He performed well, moved well, but any comparison to Michael Jackson would not be fair. Randy started his critique with his love for Michael. Dude, I, I, I love Michael, man. I love Michael. I'm not, I'm not sure that that was my favorite Michael performance. That was a very ambitious thing to do, but it was just all right for me. Well, it wasn't a Michael performance. It was a Justin performance. And I think... Great job. I thought, I thought it was great. I had a great time watching. Thank you. Thank you. Simon had to go there and, of course, make the comparison. Oh, God. Um, well, it wasn't great. I mean, that was just a bad impersonal of Michael Jackson, so what? I think it's confirmed that Simon would critique a suicide note. Okay. Wow. I'd also like to add, Paula, you have a comedy writer, sue him. Ooh. The argument had started between Simon and Paula, and so, of course, Randy had to join in. I have to agree with Simon on this. The first performance was great. That one, uh, no, no. Justin was just amused at what was going on and was happy to wait to see what America would say the next day. He must have felt reasonably comfortable by the fact that the screaming fans in the audience yelled their love every time he moved his hips. He was the only guy and a lot of young girls were voting. Fifteen million calls came in overnight. Who they were for would soon be revealed. At the top of the show, the top four sang a tribute to Paula, using all of her big hits, Straight Up, Opposites Attract, and Cold-Hearted Snake, which she always said she sang for Simon. Time to start revealing the vote. Brian informed Kelly that she was safe. Ryan put Nikki in her usual place, the McKibben Zone. And then, of course, Justin and Tamira were told that they would have to wait until after the break to find out who would be joining Nikki. Tamira was surprisingly the one who joined Nikki after the break, and then they both had to wait until after the next break to find out who would be going home. These breaks were coming thick and fast and very annoyingly, but of course it was the advertisers that basically paid for the show's production, and certainly Ford and Coke, who had been our sponsors, had been great partners in the setup for this show. In fact, if we hadn't have had them, we probably would never have had an American Idol show. Coming out of the break, Nikki and Tamira were holding hands. Ryan began. And it is the end of the road for either Nikki or Tamira. Here we go. The results of your vote, America. So, as we were all waiting for Nikki to be cut the impact of Ryan's voice shocked the entire studio. Tamira, you are eliminated this week. The audience was shouting their disapproval. Randy and Simon were shaking their heads. Simon looked positively pissed off and Paula buried her face in her hands. The entire studio and all three judges gave her a standing ovation. A very gracious Tamira had this to say. Um, I just want to say thank you to everybody. It's been an amazing journey. Um, I was prepared for this. Um, my journey ends here, but it doesn't stop. The judges were asked to comment on this decision by the American public. Randy had this to say. In my mind, you are a superstar. I'm very disappointed for the first time. You know you're a superstar. You've made an unbelievable step 
you're going to go farther, farther beyond American Idol. It ain't about this anymore. It's about you. You're going all the way. I'll do everything I can to make sure you make it there. Paula owned up to her feelings. I have to say, you may not be in shock, but I am in a total state of shock. It's like I'm seeing Muhammad Ali get knocked down for the first time. Yes. It's weird. It's weird to me. It's, but as he got up, you're going to not only win this fight called show business, you're going to conquer it. Simon apologised to Myra as he addressed the remaining three contestants. You have to understand the three of you now. Not one of you are safe in this competition. This proves it. Not one of you. Because you're now being judged on a totally different criteria. Having frightened the final three, he redirected his attention to Tamira. You have to respect the public's opinion because it's a public vote. Do I think they've got it right? Absolutely no way. With Tamira being cut from the show and Simon's words ringing in their ears, the top three would prepare for the show that would decide who would be battling it out at the Kodak Theatre for the title of American Idol. But that's another story. And I'll deal with that next week when I speak to Nikki McKibben. But for now, let's chat with Charles Boyd, who had written all of the dialogue for our presenters in the UK, Anthony McPartland and Declan Donnelly, otherwise known as Anton Deck, and who now had the job of making Brian Dunkelman and Ryan Seacrest fit together just as smoothly. A task, I would add, that would prove to be pretty difficult. Ken and I were so happy to bring Charlie to the States, and I am so very happy now to introduce Charles Boyd to you, known to his friends as Charlie. Welcome, Charles. <laughs> Thank you, Nigel, known to his friends as Nige. <laughs> That's me, Charlie, nasty Nige. <laughs> so tell me, when, when we called you to come and work on American Idol, and I think it must have been around the top eight, mm -hmm. we were having a bit of trouble with Ryan and Brian's chemistry. How did that affect your life, you know, moving to the US and everything? Um, it was a huge change to my life. I mean, I had a, uh, an apartment in London and a fiancé in London. I had a whole life built and planned out. And then I got the call uh, saying, hey, um, do you want to come to America for six weeks? Just a six-week gig. We're having a little spot of bother with our two hosts. They're not really, like you say, gelling. They're not, the chemistry is not there. So can you come and do what you did with your two guys in England. On um, Pop Idol, with Anton Deck. With Anton Deck, exactly. But the only difference being that Anton Deck had been mates since they were like 11 or 12 years of age, mm -hmm. and Ryan and Brian were just sort of shoved together. Yeah. I suppose it's the difference between friends getting married and an arranged marriage, if you want to look at it in that way. Well, it's a very strange analogy, really. I know, I know. And it was the same amount of love as an arranged marriage. <laughs> okay. What did your fiancé say about, you know, you leaving and going off to America? Can I pack your bags? <laughs> she wanted to get rid of you. <laughs> it wasn't a fight, put it that way. <laughs> well, you're going to save the fighting till you got to America, I guess. <laughs> uh, now, you'd done the entire series of Pop Idol in the UK where you worked with Ant and Deck, who we know are terrific presenters. Ken and I, in truth didn't want two presenters for American Idol. We felt we just wanted one. But uh, no, it was insisted upon that we had two, and which is why we brought you out to try and help their chemistry. How did you get on with Ryan Seacrest and Brian Dunkel? I think it's worth talking about the fact that there was two people there because American Idol was modelled quite specifically on Pop Idol as much as possible. Correct. But... You didn't really need two people to do that job because Ant and Deck, the British hosts, were really just one person. Because they'd worked together for so long since they were kids, they shared a brain. They were like twins. They had such chemistry, they could read each other's minds. And so there was a natural to and fro with the way they talked. And so it was very easy to produce them. So when you work with two people who are very new to each other, who don't have that natural chemistry, it's, it's more of a challenge. And then you realise in the writing there's absolutely not 
a necessity to have these two people doing this one-person job. But Ryan and Brian were so totally different in their outlook and in their performance. Yes. One was a comedian and one was a radio DJ or a radio yeah. host. And when you say comedian, a very straight-faced, droll comedian. Very straight-faced, very deadpan. Yeah. So it was two different styles to produce in what was really a, a, a few paragraphs because a lot of the script at the time were phone numbers and instructions. And so the bits that weren't phone numbers and instructions were quite small. And when you have a guy that wants to be very deadpan and very droll and you have a, another guy who wants to motor the show along, there's going to be an imbalance in the force. It was like watching a push-me-pull-you on the stage. Right. You know, there was, there was this two-headed beast that one wanted to go one way, one wanted to go the other way. And you could tell Ryan would get more and more lines. And eventually, Brian was left going, that's right, after a whole long spiel by Ryan. <laughs> and I remember one particular thing. I don't know whether I told you this. My door was open in my office and your door was open when you got a call from Brian's management saying there's something wrong with the way he's being produced because this isn't working. And you said, actually, maybe we've got the wrong host. Always oh, straight to the point, eh, Charlie? Yes, I know. But I thought that's, th that's when I thought that we were going to have a very good working relationship because I would imagine a lot of people in Hollywood would have gone, yeah, well, we'll work on that. We'll fix it. Anything for the talent. But you said, no, because <laughs> we're going to back the team. I thought that was cool. So thank you for that, 15 years later. Um, it's 18 years later, by the way, Charlie. But okay. What time is it? Yes, nine o'clock. <laughs> we, we, I found it very strange that, you're, you're quite right, it ended up with Dunkelman wanting comedy lines all the time. And when you try to supply them, he would turn around and say, no, no, I need a haiku. And I, I must be honest and say, I, I've never heard of a haiku. Yes, I couldn't tell you what a haiku was if it slapped me in the face. So you didn't provide him with one? I'll be honest, I didn't give him one because it had no space. It had no place being on a show about singing. It wasn't about him. It wasn't about Ryan. It wasn't really about anyone in particular. It was about the contestants and their performance. That's exactly right. Simon may think differently. No, no. Simon may say it's about him. No, I don't think that's actually true, Charlie. I think Simon was always focused on the contestants, as was the whole show. You know, it was those backstories mm. that led us into the lives of the contestants that really helped us support them. Exactly. Unlike other shows that have sprung up since then, like The Voice, where the format allows the judges to interact with each other because they're stealing contestants off each other. You know, we really concentrated on everything that Simon had to say to a contestant, and we either agreed with it or we disagreed with it. Uh, but at the end of the day, it was all about the contestants. And I think we learned that on Pop Idol in the UK. Remember when Gareth Gates walked into that audition room with his stutter. Yes. Um, the people were so interested in that backstory uh, that I think that's what one of the main things we learned to bring to America. Yes. It was interesting with Gareth because for a record producer and a television producer, it was like a dream had just walked into the room because he had the voice of an angel. He was good looking. He was a young working class kid and he had a slight stammer when he was nervous and so you could hear every woman and quite a lot of the guys just had their hearts broke as he was trying to get his words out and explaining that i'm sorry i have a stammer when i'm nervous but miraculously it left when he sang I remember this was in the Manchester show and it played beautifully. And so our job was to recreate that for America. Mm -hmm. So when you joined us, uh, you met the contestants, I guess, 
after Jim Vararas had left the competition and EJ Day left the competition, I think. I suppose who made most of an impression on me was Nicky. Nicky McKibben? Nicky McKibben. At that point, there was a, a live performance she did where her little boy came up and gave her a rose. It was Debbie Williams, our floor manager, who saw little four-year-old Tristan there and held him up, put him onto the stage and told him to run to his mum. And, of course, that creates such great emotion. Uh, yeah. And uh, the, the audience loved it. It's 100% a vital part of the show, an understanding about who that person is and an empathy for them. You want to root for them, you want to identify with them, and you want to help them, and you help them by voting for them. And when they are voted out, it's obviously the producer's fault. As I found, as you found, as anybody who worked on the show found, when they went into the outside world, which we didn't really get to do because the show's a monster and we all lived in this bubble, this um, American Idol bubble that was wrapped around us for years and years. And if we did go out and, you know, to a dinner party or, or whatever, and someone would say, what do you do? And I'd say, I work on American Idol. And they say, how could you let Nicky McKibben go? Or how could you let Tamara Gray go? Yeah, yeah. And I'd always say, did you vote for her? And they go, no. Yeah, exactly. Well, there's your answer. There is your answer. If you don't vote, they leave. I remember a couple of my discs slipped out of my cervical spine and I had to go to get an injection. And it was a long, looked like a needle that could go up up a horse's ass, you know, mm. it, was, it was it was really long needle. And the guy was coming towards me almost in slow motion. He's going to stick this in my neck. And just before it goes in my neck, he said, who's going to win American Idol? <laughs> oh, you <yeah. laughs> bloody hell. Give me a break. You know, you know I, I would have said, who do you want? <laughs> <laughs> yes, anything you want. Who do you want to win? It who was, do you it, like? It really did. That first season took the country over surprisingly. And and I know you say we were in a bubble, but wherever you went, that bubble got bigger. Oh, yeah. Uh, because everyone was talking about it. Now, there was one thing that we were doing that season, which I, I never liked, I must be honest, which was the sort of big brother type thing. Yes. Where we put them all in a house together. Yes. And we wanted to film them in the house 24-7. And I hated it. It wasn't about their singing talent for me. Uh, But you were involved in that quite a lot, weren't you? Um, I was around. I could see it happening. And I was trying to make it a part of the show. To make it feel like a part of the show, you had to make it feel natural. Yeah. The problem was... The problem was it was unnatural. Yeah, because... What they did when they weren't singing was nothing. Because anyone will tell you on the show, their schedule was rehearsals, working for the Ford videos, interviews, working with the producers on what they were going to say in their pieces, more rehearsals, rehearsals for the show, uh, vocal costume exercises. Costume fittings. Costume fittings. It's nonstop. And we tell them at the start, this is the hardest you are ever going to work. And they're all, yeah, 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 yeah. But by the time, and we would always try and look at the contestants and go, that's the one. There was always the game of who's going to turn up in the sunglasses and the big scarf with the glass of warm lemon juice. And you could, when they get to that stage, whenever you see a contestant in sunglasses and a big scarf, you know, oh no, it's that time in the show when everybody is just broken. Yes. And everyone's just exhausted. And we go, oh, we've pushed them too far. And when they're not in the studio and they get back to their mansion or wherever you put them, they don't want to have reality or, you know, stage a meal or talk to a camera because they're just shagged out. They're just yeah. broken yeah. people. So it it was always going to be an uphill battle. And I totally understand, you know, why it would have been an interesting addition to the show if it wasn't forced. 
you know? I like putting stars on pedestals. I, I, I still don't want to know that they, you know, go to the bathroom, that they do this, they do that. I, I like the idea of, you know, if you're going to do anything, show how hard they're continuing to work there because they were learning their lyrics. They were listening to a bunch of songs. What were they going to be singing next week? Yeah. And don't forget, the American kids didn't really know the American songbook. I know. They were literally introduced every week to a bunch of songs that Susan Slamer could clear that they'd never heard of before and had to decide what they were going to sing. That was an, an eye-opener for me. Maybe it was my age. You know, I'm getting close to 32 now, so it's... Yeah. I'm getting up there. Yes. Was that is that your waist size? <laughs> yeah, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> no, me too. I think it's something that just happens when you get older. Mm -hmm. You know, I never wanted to get older, but now I am old. I want to see how old I can get. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Charlie, did it ever amaze you at how great the chemistry was between Randy, Paula, and Simon? Yeah, in a way, it was like a a weekly live soap. A family. It was a fa yeah. It's what happens in families, right? Yeah, around the table. Uh, and the thing was, Randy was speaking musically, Paula was speaking from the heart, and Simon uh, was thinking monetarily, could this person make my record company money? And that's how A&R guys work. I never understood why they uh, always thought, oh, we've got to put celebrity singers uh, as judges because they could never really be honest. They never, they would never really want to be tough on a, another singer. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they would lose their fans. But for Simon, he didn't give a damn. Yeah. It was about, will you make my company money? We were very, very fortunate in the sense that those boxes were checked and the people had the chemistry as well. I mean, yeah. we've seen since people have tried to replicate yeah. We need, you know, we need an industry person, we need a performer who's been there, and we need somebody who's got this. And you've seen that the boxes are checked, but the magic isn't there. And talking of them as a family around a table, you've got Ryan, who's trying to do the business of a live show at the same time and rein it in. But the way he'd do it, he'd made it fun at the same time. So... He was loving what he was doing and they were loving what they were doing, which made the contestants love what they were doing. And the audience at the same time were along for the ride. And even the business about, okay, here are the phone numbers. This is what you have to do. You know, it was just entertaining at the same time. And the hour would fly by. Yeah. I, I was always amazed how further forward Europe was in texting. Because when we came here, texting really wasn't being used at all. Oh, it was amazing. And I remember Ryan having to teach America how to text. Do you remember that? I do. I remember the, the size of the phone he was using. <laughs> I, it was like producing someone saying, okay, imagine there's a toddler in front of you and you're trying to explain the Greek alphabet. That's the sort of pace I need you to go when you're describing this new phenomenon. And I'd love to show, like, a 15-year-old now that tape of what we did because they just wouldn't believe it. They wouldn't believe yep. there was a world where people didn't write with their thumbs. Yeah. <laughs> we were the show that really broke that to yeah. an audience. Yeah. When we, we had to get Ryan in the audience to say, OK, you pick up your phone and you you press these buttons and then, here, have a go. And the, the audience was sitting behind and going, what the hell is this? This isn't going to catch on. And we were thinking, are they going to get it? And later on when we joined Apple, I remember Ryan doing it all over again and Steve Jobs called me up and said, he didn't do it correctly. Can you can you redo it? <laughs> he screwed yes, it up. Mr. Jobs. Yes, certainly Mr. Jobs. <laughs> I think... Yeah. So do you think, Charlie, did we make any mistakes during season one that we corrected for season two? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think we only made it better, I'll be honest. Obviously, when a show blows up, it's right. Let's throw as much at it as we can to get as much money as we can. And I remember 
we all said, no, you know, we're not going to have this. We can't have this because it's going to affect the overall quality of the show. Yeah. But I think as, you know, we went from a top 10 to a top 12, we went around more of the country. We saw more and more people. Well, I think that was the shock. That was the shock for me. I mean, we saw something like uh, out of all the cities on season one, about 10,000. Yeah. Uh, but second season, all of a sudden, there are 45,000 waiting to be auditioned in New York. And uh -huh. you just go, wow, how are we going to do this? Yep. But that's another story, Charlie. Oh. And I'll talk to you about that another time. Okay. I look forward to seeing you again. Yes, thank you. And thank you, dear listeners, for listening to Charlie and I prattle on and don't forget to subscribe to Idle Memories on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Stay safe. See you soon. Cue music. Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.